0: Snark
1: production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday, November 19. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Jan Fran. Hey, Jan.
0: Hello, Tom. Today on the show, do you remember the shocking story from October last year? There was a newborn baby that was found abandoned in a bin in a toilet at Doha International Airport, and that led to 13 Australian women being pulled off a Qatar Airways flight by armed guards and invasively examined without their consent. She wanted me to remove my underwear and I was physically holding them up, just mm. asking her again and again, why,
2: like, why is this necessary? But she said, no, no, down, Like, and she physically pulled them down.
1: Unbelievable story. So that's an interview that we're going to play you later in the show from a woman who was invasively searched on the tarmac at gunpoint. Uh, it's an incredible story. We're finally finding out exactly what happened and how... This woman and six other Australian women are now trying to sue the Qatari government.
2: We want to ensure that that's never, ever going to happen again. And that's our main thing is just the basic human rights and the basic women's rights.
0: Yeah, but the wealthy Gulf state, though, has ignored their multiple attempts at dialogue previously. So I guess the question is, will it even take notice of this lawsuit?
1: Yeah, we're going to find out very soon. First, here are today's headlines.
0: We are starting in Victoria this morning where freedom is back for Victorians. And this is as the state hits its 90% double vax target.
1: So many of these rules, almost all of them can fall away. They're no longer needed because of the amazing work the Victorians have done. Yeah, so it kicked in at midnight, just gone. Uh, Victorians will no longer have restrictions on home visits. Uh, Masks will no longer be required in most settings. And no density limits at hospitality venues, which actually tanks uh, Victoria a step further than where New South Wales is at.
0: Yeah, there will be restrictions, though, in place for the unvaccinated, and that remains in both states. Now, while Dan Andrews is very happily announcing freedoms on one hand, on the other hand, though, his pandemic bill has run into slightly more trouble, Tom.
1: Yeah, so yesterday we reported that disgraced former Labor Minister Adam Somirek had turned against the bill. He's now on the crossbench. And that means the Andrews government is, right at the last minute, having to woo another crossbencher to vote for the legislation in the upper house, which means not only is it delayed because they were hoping it would go through yesterday, it also means they're gonna have to make more significant concessions on this very controversial bill.
0: Over the border in New South Wales, and it has been another day of revelations in the William Tyrrell case. Now, police confirmed this week that William's foster mother is the current focus of the renewed investigation into his disappearance.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, uh, the detective who was the lead investigator on the case several years ago, Gary Jubelin, is running a sideline commentary and he described the foster mother yesterday as a very decent human being.
0: Yeah, so he, um, he told Nine Radio that he had cleared... William's foster parents as suspects, and he'd done that through interviews and the use of a listening device. And by the way, when he says parents here, he does mean foster parents, not birth parents.
1: I basically ambushed the parents and then I interrogated the parents and I formally interviewed the parents and then released the parents with a covert operation running. And based on on the answers to those questions and also the information that we gathered during the covert operation, they were again eliminated. So just to reiterate, he's talking about the foster parents, not the birth parents. Um, can't be great for the current investigators to have the former detective speaking out and running a sideline commentary?
0: I can't imagine police investigating the case currently would be too happy to hear Gary Jubelin essentially contradicting their evidence or at least their statements.
1: What's underlying all these developments this week is a renewed hope in the public as well. But maybe they've finally got something that's going to bring this shocking mystery to an end. This goes back to 2014 when the three-year-old disappeared.
0: Yeah, that's right. And we did have Gary on the show, actually, mm. last year. I mean, he was the lead detective in this case for a number of years and very, very invested in it. It's slightly confusing to have two key voices of people who are familiar with the case saying two different things.
1: Yeah, well, it seems like Gary Jubelin is in a way defending his own legacy. Maybe it's not the exact right time to be doing that.
0: And the Professional Women's Tennis Association is threatening to scrap future tournaments in China if authorities don't prove that missing player Peng Shui is safe.
1: Yeah, this is a big story. Even Novak Djokovic has weighed in. Honestly, it's shocking, you know, that that she's missing. I mean,
0: uh, uh, there's not much more to say than than hope that uh, she'll be found, that, uh, you know, that she's she's okay. Yeah, so Peng Shui is a two-time Grand Slam doubles champion. She hasn't been seen, though, since she came out to accuse China's former vice premier of sexual assault. This is more than two weeks ago.
1: Yesterday, Chinese state media posted a statement, reportedly from the 35-year-old, which said she was fine. She was resting at home and not in danger.
0: That doesn't instill me with a great sense of confidence, I think, unless we hear from her directly and see her. Live. Live. I think a statement from the Chinese, that's thats more concerning than not, to be honest.
1: And that's what the Women's Tennis Association Chief Executive and Chairman Steve Simon has said. He said that the post heightened their fears mm. for her safety rather than calm them down. Yeah,
0: I mean, the, the WTA is set to stage, I think, 10 tournaments in China in 2022. So this is, you know, aside from being quite possibly, we don't know the situation, quite possibly dangerous for um, Shuai, it's also a massive PR headache for the tournament. And this next story is one that relates to our briefing topic. So Denmark says that it plans to use its soccer team to highlight human rights abuses in Qatar when it takes part in next year's FIFA World Cup in the country.
1: Yeah, so the Danish Football Association revealed that the national team's training kit um, will feature human rights slogans and messages criticising Qatar. So the wealthy golf state has regularly been criticised for not providing safe working conditions For the migrant labourers um, that flock to the country, they're working on the World Cup as well. And as you'll hear in our briefing, the invasive search of all those women at Doha Airport has also raised concerns about Qatar ahead of hosting the World Cup next year. So um, a bit of bad PR noise for Qatar. Maybe they need to sort out some of these problems.
0: Yeah, and and PR noise that I suspect will ramp up in in the next 12 months as well as we approach the 2022 World Cup. My unsolicited two cents, if Mm. you really want to make a statement.
1: You are solicited just by being here on the podcast.
0: (laughs) Just by having a microphone in front of me, I am solicited. You know what? If you really want to make a splash here, don't go.
1: Pull out of the World Cup. Pull
0: out of the World Cup. That's a much bigger move.
1: No, I reckon turning up with slogans on your jerseys is bigger. That's awkward.
0: You think so? And yeah. you're still playing? Because you're still what... taking your team over to the tournament? Yeah, because still... when, you,
1: when you pull out, you make a splash when you make that announcement. When the whole world's watching at the tournament, that's where you've got potentially billions of people watching it on TV. That's a bigger statement.
0: Oh Yeah. I mean, I think the, Cynical Me reckons the deal was done when Qatar won the World Cup some decade ago. That was when people should have gone, Oh! I Maybe mean, they need to fix up some human rights stuff before we put the World Cup there, but they didn't, and here we are.
1: And Prince Charles has sought to reassure the public that his mother is doing well as she returned to royal duties yesterday. There she's... So, all right, sorry. thank sorry. you very much. Thank you. Once you get to ninety-five, <laughs> you know it's not quite as easy as it used to be. Bad enough at seventy-three.
0: <laughs> yeah, crikey! I am still like in awe that the Queen can get out of bed, let alone attend all of these events, which take effort.
1: I read that she still rides horses. Does she? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, she's she's back. She's back on the circus. She she attended her first official engave- engagement yesterday. Um, she met with British defence leaders at Windsor Castle. Mm. Oh, who's bothered meeting with people when you're 95?
1: She wants to keep at it. She didn't use a walking stick either, which was a, a good sign. So good news. The Queen's healthy. Good Friday news. Um, speaking of Friday, join the briefing quiz on Instagram. It's good fun. It's quite easy.
0: It's well, not quite easy.
1: I guess that's stupid for me to say that because I'm the one <laughs> reading the headlines, so it's easy for me. I'm I mean, just <laughs> still scarred by the Good Weekend quiz. That's what I'm talking about. I just, I barely get into double figures. It's, I'm so embarrassed by it that I'm sharing it for some reason. Anyway, get on our Instagram, follow us there. you get all the latest stories as well. In a moment, we're jumping into this Qatar story.
0: Pretty shocking allegations coming out of Qatar this morning. Women headed to Sydney have been subjected to offensive and grossly inappropriate treatment. A newborn premature baby was found in the bathroom of an airport terminal. You know, as a father, my first thought was, well, what, if this was one of my daughters? Forced to undergo invasive examinations without their consent. It's outrageous to think that so many ladies went through that sort of humiliation. That shocking incident happened on October 2nd 2020. Now, as you heard at the top of the show, after the baby was discovered, flights out of Qatar were stopped. Um, The women on board those flights, we don't know how many women, it could have been dozens, uh, were forced to undergo an invasive gynecological examination. This is as Qatari authorities searched for the mother of that abandoned newborn baby.
1: 13 of the women were Australian. Seven of them are joining a legal action. There's a GoFundMe if you want to support that. Jane was one of them. That's not her real name. She's a nurse who was returning home from London. She's joining us on the briefing to explain what happened on that day and what they want to be done about this and why they're launching this legal action. Jane, tell us what happened on the plane that day.
2: There was an announcement, just a male's voice saying can every um, female leave the plane and take their passports with them. Whoa no explanation. Um, I remember asking one of the air hostesses who was nearby to me what was happening and he couldn't give me any answers and just said we had to leave the plane. My husband was flying with me. So I said, well, can my husband come with me? And they said, no, I physically did not want to leave the plane because I didn't know what was happening and what was about to happen to us.
0: What did happen?
2: So we got taken off the plane um, and then they were armed men. Um, again, we didn't know who they were. There was no introduction of, oh, we're from the police or the government. Or So as far as I was concerned, I was thinking it was a potential hostage or terror situation. We got taken into the terminal and then in groups of four, we got taken from the terminal to a lift. And again, I was asking questions. And so uh, some of the other women, what is happening? Can you tell us where you're taking us and they wouldn't give us any answers. They just told us to get into the lift and then from there, the lift took us down to the tarmac, I'd say, and we were let out and there were even more men with guns. We were terrified. It was such an unsettling situation. I was fearing for our lives. I was fearing for the lives of everyone left on the plane because there were people on the plane with guns and my mind went to the worst, I guess, at that point.
1: Right. So hectic situation, machine guns and men everywhere, no idea what's happening. Um, How did this then lead to you being invasively searched?
2: One by one, we were led, there were two ambulances on the ground and I got led into one by this group of men. And it wasn't until I stepped into the ambulance that there was this lady and she had very minimal English. (laughs) No one spoke English really the whole time, but she managed to to say a baby has been found in a bin and we need to test you, and I was just like, "What are you like? What what are you testing me for?" I, I, I couldn't comprehend what was happening. Um, I had to get on the table. Um, the men were surrounding my my ambulance, and and I remember laying there and being able to see them through the little thin blinds. So I was convinced they could see in. Mm. I was kind of frozen at that point. I just I remember she wanted to remove my pants and incredibly hesitant to do so and then she wanted me to remove my underwear and I was physically holding them up um just mm-hmm. asking her again and again why like why is this necessary that she said no no down like the, and she physically pulled them down and then I had an incredibly um horrific invasive exam done and I was literally laying there and I was like paralyzed honestly I I was in shock I thought this this shouldn't be done this way. I've not consented. I had no idea what she was going to do to me, um, especially what she did to me. I was that was so beyond my thoughts so of that was what that was going to happen. Um, and as a nurse myself, I thought this is this is not right. Like I've not consented to what you're doing at all. Um, and also, there are plenty of ways to tell if a woman's just had a baby, and that's mm. the the last thing mm. that should have ever occurred.
0: Your experience sounds absolutely horrific. And I think as a as a fellow woman, I can't even I just can't even imagine what you were thinking and feeling in that moment. How did the ordeal impact you?
2: I felt at the time I was just in shock. I, I felt sick. I returned to the plane and told my husband and we literally just sat there in silence because I was just like, I can't believe that's just happened. At the time I felt a lot of terror, because again, I, I honestly thought we were going to get killed or I thought that if I stood up and said, no, I don't want this to happen, then they would then take me somewhere else. And that was my worst fear that we'd managed to get this flight home and we were so excited to finally be Mm -hmm. coming home. And the thought of myself being taken away with these armed security men or whoever they were and then my husband leaving on the plane to go back to Australia and me being left alone was crippling like it was it was terrifying even though I didn't consent to it we couldn't say no there was no chance to say no there was no support offered to us there was no one speaking English able to translate there was no reassurance we were very much just left to deal with it on on our own and, and have no idea what was going to happen in terms of how I'm feeling now, all of us, like, so there's a big group of us that are constantly in contact. We're all dealing with it in different ways. I know we've all got a lot of anxiety. We've all got PTSD. We speak to psychologists, like, I see my psychologist every one to two weeks on average. Um, I'm having to deal with like exposure therapies because the sight of, for me, like a gun or an ambulance or even a rubbish bin or a public toilet is enough to make me really panic. It's affected my job. So as I said, I'm a nurse. Um, so there are many things that have come up in my job that have made me really panic. And I've had actual anxiety sort of panic attacks at work where I've literally hidden in cupboards and mm-hmm. unable to breathe. And we're not coping very well. Like it's it's been quite tricky. But now we're getting to the point that we're also angry <laughs> and we're getting pissed off that that nothing's been done, really.
1: So, tell us what you think of the response from the Qatari side and even from the Australian government and what you hope this lawsuit might achieve.
2: So, the response from the Qatari government, I think, was quite appalling. (laughs) There's been very little communication between both parties. We have... Reached out to them, and we've always said that our door's always open. We want to have a discussion with you and find out why this happened and and how this was made to happen. We have sent letters that have either been ignored or they're rejected and um, have come back and said that we've got no merit. Which I think that's the most insulting, insensitive, appalling response they could have ever given us. And they have acknowledged that that was an illegal decision, and they have prosecuted one particular male. And I think he got a fine of like $3,500. He got a suspended jail sentence. So he's not doing that. I think he may have lost his position at the airport or whoever he was working for. But to us, that's, that's not enough. That's not acknowledging what we've actually been through none of us have received an apology. So we've not received a letter, an email, a phone call from either the Qatar government or from the Qatar Airways. There was a little tweet that was thrown out there, I think by one of the leaders of Qatar country. It's by no means a good enough apology for what we were put through. Um, And the fact that it was a tweet of all things is just insulting, really. Mm. When it all happened last year, we were assured by like Scott Morrison and people coming out saying this is appalling and this should never have happened and we'll support these women. Well, we've not had any follow-up. No one's been in discussion with us.
1: Now that you're having to go to the, the point of suing the Qatari government, the airline, the airport, where do you hope this will go?
2: We were initially hoping that they would have been happy to um, engage in conversation with us. We have always reached out to them and and our lawyers have sent letters um, and they've basically sent ones back either saying we've got no merit or that they're considering what has happened. The next step is for our lawyers to lodge it in the Supreme Court of New South Wales. And I believe they're planning on doing that in the next few weeks and then see where we go from there because we need them to actually acknowledge what's happened and speak with us and then the changes to be made, we want to ensure that women feel safe traveling. Like this shouldn't have happened. We thought we were on our way home. We got dragged off planes by armed men that didn't speak any English. We were subjected to the most horrific physical exams that I think will live with us forever. And the terror that we thought we were a part of is something that I don't see ourselves. Like we will never forget that. And it's, it's definitely had a huge impact on our lives. So we want to ensure that that's never, ever going to happen again. And that's our main main thing is like just the basic human rights and the basic women's rights. Mm-hmm. Do you want
0: financial compensation
2: for this? It's not the forefront of our concerns, to be honest with you. I think the acting for on behalf of other women is our main concern at the moment. But if it got to that point, then yeah, it would be
0: considered, I would say. That was Jane. She's one of the women who was invasively examined at Doha Airport last year. And we should say that we also spoke to the lawyer running the case, Damien Sturzaker from Mark Lawyers. So to give you a sense of where the case might go, he says it's hard to sue the government. um, But because of an international convention, Qatar Airlines is a party to. They can sue the airline in the New South Wales Supreme Court, which is what they are planning to do in the coming weeks. Now, that airline is owned by the government. So it does mean that in some roundabout way, there could be some government accountability there.
1: It'll also be really bad PR for Qatar. They're hosting the FIFA World Cup next year. So Surely they want to instill confidence in travellers coming to their airport, which might force them to deal with this properly. And I think the other thing, Jan, that demonstrates just how badly this situation was handled, that as far as we know, publicly at least, they haven't even prosecuted the woman responsible for dumping the baby, which is what this was Mm. all about in their first place. So not only did they create so much injustice for all of these other women... They didn't find justice for the person who perpetrated the crime. So just crazy. Anyway, apparently the baby is is alive and living in a Qatar orphanage.
0: This whole thing is just an awful story and a real mess. All
1: right. Thank you so much for listening to the briefing this week. Tomorrow in your feed, you'll find the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who's on this week?
2: Hey, Tom. It is really good to join you because this weekend I am chatting with Shane Jenick also known as Courtney Act. People will know Courtney from Big Brother UK, from RuPaul's Drag Race and also from the first season of Australian Idol. We had a really expansive conversation about gender and fluidity, about sexuality and identity, about dressing up in drag for the first time, about having an influence on people's politics through the Big Brother house And, of course, we did talk a whole lot about reality TV.
1: So much to cover there on the weekend briefing. Thank you, Jamila. And thank you to our hardworking team, Dan Mullins, executive producer, news producer Liam Kennedy and Brooke Louvner, Emily Lodge, socials producer, and Matt Kuz-Curry on the mixing. Thank you so much for all your hard work, team. Uh, We'll catch you Monday.
2: Listener.